and welcome to the intersection, which is what I'm calling season two of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays podcast. I'm your host, Ebony Walden, the creator of Richmond Racial Equity Essays. Last season, we asked 50 people what their vision for racial equity in Richmond uh, was and how do we get there. That manifested in about 15 people being interviewed over eight podcast episodes and others were essayists and we had video interviews and the whole kit and caboodle. I am an urban planner and DEI consultant and I like to say my work is at the intersection of systemic racism and place. So for this season, I'm gonna invite uh, guests at various intersections of racial justice and equity to talk to me about their work and to specifically answer the question of what now, what next? We're three years after the start of the pandemic, uh, almost three years after the murder of George Floyd in our seeming, and I say seeming in quotes, racial awakening of this country. But the attention to racial justice and inequity, I think, has cooled in all sectors and in the media, but there's still lots of work to do. So I'm asking people, what now and what next? And they'll meet me at the intersection of racial equity and their particular work. Today, we'll be meeting at the intersection of race and faith or spirituality, and our guests are Reverend Jess Cook and Charles Bowling, who are ministers at every table. Thank you all for, for coming and meeting me at the intersection today. I'd love for you to just start out just introducing yourselves, your, your name, how long you've been living in Richmond, and maybe what has brought you to the work that you do today, and then we'll get into hopefully what'll be a dynamic conversation, whoever wants to start. So my name is Jess Cook, and my pronouns are they, them, and I am a, a actually ordained Presbyterian minister um, in the Presbyterian Church USA, um, and I am uh, originally from Longview, Texas, Northeast Texas. I've been living in Richmond since um, the end of 2008, originally came for love. Um, I love that. And uh, and then seminary, that <laughs> which then led to divorce, but I'm still here, delightfully. And so now it's home. And um, in terms of what brought me to the work, I guess to this moment now, most, most specifically, I, you know, it's kind of interesting because I feel like in so many ways, my life has been leading up to this moment. And so I feel like just as somebody who was socialized at the intersection of all of my identities. Um, and, and I think particularly as conversations relevant here as a, as a white um, trans non-binary person who was raised in an upper middle class home in Northeast Texas um, and who has a deep yearning for healing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is kind of is what has been a big pivot. But I think as I look at it now, it's like all of those things led to this point. Um, but, but I would say that, that the strongest pivot, I think now, and, and this will come up in the conversation, I think, but, but has really been around a deep need, a moment when it just was clear that, that healing was the only option for, for me for how to engage uh, this work of racial justice, um, and, but really of just living as a, as a human, as a human at this point. Yes, yes, I have so many questions, so I'm excited to get into it with you, Jess. And of course, I know Charles a little bit from uh, you were being the barista, so he was my favorite person for forever, and then the pandemic happened. So why don't you introduce yourself to our audience, Charles. Hello, hello. I am Charles. I'm a yoga teacher, neighborhood organizer, um, healer, and abolitionist um, from Churchill. 
Um, I was born and raised in Churchill. I left for a few years, and then I came back. Oh, for similar reasons, love. Look at y'all oh. returning or coming or moving for love. I love that. And, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, kind of like I'm black and I'm queer, so I really don't have a a, a choice but to do like radical work. No, okay, you can't just stop there. What's brought you to the work at every table or to, to the, the work you feel like you do in the world? To me, this work isn't something that like I've felt like I've never not been doing in a way. I've always made space. I've always taken up space for like my personality. And I noticed how like that allows others to take up space for their personality. And even like growing up in the church and growing up, um, yeah, basically growing up in the church, growing up religious and seeing um, like the intersection of how like black queer people kind of like run the church, mm -hmm. but it's not like talked about, especially in black churches. Um, yeah, it's just something that I always was like, I would love to one day have a space where I could be like black and queer and those two things aren't looked down upon. Like, like, yeah. So yeah, you guys are actually the perfect kind of jump, jump off our starting yeah. point to the intersection, right? So you're all, all are talking about the intersections of your identity. Tell me a little bit before we jump into a more focused conversation. Tell me a little bit about every table. It's on your website, and I'm so I, I like to say I'm like post church or post Christian, whatever that means. And I think to me it means that's my foundation. But I have found life and spirituality outside of that. That doesn't mean that I'll never go back. But it's not necessarily the church as as I think about it, it's not something that's attracted to me. But I looked at your website and I was like, okay, I might go to their church. So tell me a little bit about the why. Why do you all think it's important to have a different kind of church? What do you all want to do? And how does that intersect with the work of racial healing, equity or justice or how you all define it? So <laughs> we actually oh, never worked the college. not church. Church-ish, because we still talk about Jesus, but start as a starting point. We do, yeah, we talk about Jesus as a starting point, and we want to, like, we want a space, basically we want every table to be a space of, like, worship, especially for queer people. So, um, we, our foundations are in, like, the foundations of Christ, so we don't, we never see... You never, Christ never forces himself on somebody. Christ always learns. He's always like, that's like one of the things that I'm like big on is like always like learning, always growing, always like understanding. So we never want to be a place where we're like, oh, we're only gonna be Christian or we're only gonna talk about the Bible. Like we want to be a place where like we understand like how like Jesus shows up in humanity through other people's beliefs, other people's like understanding, even if like that's not your understanding or mm. like how okay. you So Christ is kind of a doorway you know to a, a broader spirituality maybe. Yeah. The way 
Yeah. yeah. I kind of talk about how I feel like I feel like the space was originally created for not just for but by folks who felt like there wasn't space for them in sort of mainline churches. But it's also that maybe that that's not what we want. You know, I mean, I you know, I think, you know, we talk about, you know, throughout the pandemic, if you want to know, you know, as, as I was talking with other pastors about how to have church outside of a, a church space. You know, it's like if you want to talk to people about how to have church outside of a traditional church space, talk to the people who've been told they can't worship mm. in church, but who know that there's something that they need um, to connect with um, in terms of a community where they can be seen and affirmed in the fullness of who they are. And there is a spiritual component um, that I think in that way allows them to connect to the parts of themselves that are mm. more because ultimately, you know, I think we're all we're all one. I mean, we're all in that spirit, in that space, but how do we actually, how do we actually connect in the midst of all of the chaos of this world in a way and find a space that is spiritually nourishing um, without being oppressive? <laughs> and, and, and I think for, for me, when I think about why, like, I think we still talk about, we talk about Christian scripture, we talk about, because that's our context, like where we're coming from, but also that's where so much harm mm. has been done. You know, when you talk about the institutional church, you have to talk about white supremacy mm -hmm. because the institutional church has been the greatest advocate for, for white mm -hmm. supremacy throughout its history. Um, and, and, that, and there's nuance because the spirit, I believe, moves, has moved despite that. But we're at a place where I think for us where we're like, we, we can't live like this anymore and we want to live in a space that is healing. And, um, and, and I think for, at least for us, it's like when we started saying healing, it's like all of these things, like the, there's a movement there that I think like for us, we just trust that like, as we gather together with the intention of healing and with seeing one another, um, and with inviting in the transcendent that we will, that that healing happens. Um, so the services themselves are real contemplative. So we gather and, um, we, we, and they're grounded in sort of an understanding of the sacraments mm. as an affirmation of the good of our body. Um, and that they are things like our, it is our birthright to live at home in our bodies. Um, capitalism and white supremacy make that mm. impossible because they commodify us. And, um, and so, you know, we get together and affirm the goodness of our bodies, which is an affirmation of baptism, which we pour water, which is again, like just pouring water for the spirit, recognizing that there is this there is this importance to the physicality of our human experience as a way to connect with the spirit and with one another. But then we have silence. Charles does a meditation. We, we sit in silence for 10 minutes. And then um, I'll reflect on. We did a good Ooh. job last time. It was, it was like lovely. Yeah. But learning to sit in silence together, you know, and um, and then I'll reflect on scripture. But if we have other folks who are from other spaces or traditions, that would be a space for, for that. Um, and then we we share communion, which is like we got a big loaf of bread and juice boxes. So it's like what is this that. is an embodied meal. And then we share a meal. So we have a meal every week. Um, and then once a month we just share a meal. So those are our feast Sundays, and those are we just gather and, and share share meals. Okay, y'all are gonna see. So yeah, that's soon. been a, that yeah, with it. so great. Come on, <laughs> I come love on. that. Yep, Sunday nights at five so, p.m. So yes. let's get into it. Um, I'd love to, and you, you've talked about it as kind of this embodiment too, to just. How does, from y'all's, I guess, framing and then embodying, kind of, you talked about, what is an anti-racist, kind of anti-capitalist a, a church look like, um, and why is it necessary, and how are y'all kind of practically embodying that? Jesus was like a radical figure. Let's go, let's start there. Even when he was like down to his birth. Kings from another nation came and said, oh, it's a new king that was born and the stars told us. 
That's thug. That's gangster as hell. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's so dangerous. Like, we, like, I've, like, another country's people done walked up on my land, done told mm. me, I'm not the king no more. It's a country that was just born here, baby. Yeah, that'll snatch your edges. <laughs> exactly. Edges snatched. Gone. So, like, even the premise of, like, his birth was, like, a radical act. If Jesus was the last today, he would definitely be seeing what, like, how, like, I can't speak on how much money, like, churches got, but churches got a lot of money. <laughs> but he would definitely speak on how churches have a lot of money and how we still have homeless people and how those two things shouldn't exist. In a way of, like, even, like, before we started this, we were like, yeah, we can do this. And we're gonna get a whole lot of money. So what are we gonna do with the money? So we have, uh, we already have plans. We already have like things set up that we want to do to um, combat capitalism in a way. And um, we have like programs called like Bad Back the Box program, which is like a form of like non-capitalistic housing that I'm still like working on. We have like a rep- we have a reparations fund, which is gonna be called like the Black Luxury Fund. <laughs> which I don't exactly It's emerging. It's a pilot. It's gonna be like, <laughs> I love that. You got to practice yes. and play around. Well, Go ahead, Jess. Yeah. Well, and I think I think all of it connects to, you know, like, I mean, Jesus, I mean, you could talk about, yeah, like in Matthew, what Charles is talking about, same thing in Luke, where it's shepherds. They're ritually unclean. So, like, from his birth, Jesus was, Jesus was, was radical in a particular way that was uncomfortable um, for the status quo. You know, I mean, which which was killing people, and and Jesus came particularly, I think, to call out those religious institutions that aligned themselves with power, that were using that power and that connection to religious institutions as a way of oppressing mm. people, as a way of marginalizing people and disenfranchising people. So I think um, for us, I would say, and and even throughout, you know, if you look throughout throughout his whole whole ministry, you know, he was he was he was calling to account the religious institutions which had become oppressive like that was his whole and and so as we look now um you know you look at the ways in which the the church has historically like upheld white supremacy you know the ways in which even now the church prioritizes money over people so like when you're talking about churches who have I know a lot of churches who have these big endowments and they're just sitting on them and they say, you know, and there's all this justification for all of these things. And I understand you need to, but also like you have people suffering outside your door. And, and when I think about it, I think about how money was a concept that was devised by people. Um, People were created by God. So when we prioritize or like, even if you talk about capitalism, Capitalism assist, is a system which assigns a person's value based on their capacity to contribute to an economic system. So capitalism in itself is idolatry because you're prioritizing something that's created by people over that which was created by mm. the divine. And when and churches do that. And so, you know, and it's like if you're talking about in a government system, there's not concern with idolatry maybe in that context. But but when you talk about churches who have done this, um, and, and I think... I think we, we we need to be able to look at that. We need to be able to actually, and I think especially for me, I talk to a whole lot of white folks. I think we need to actually talk about the ways in which this is um, like the way that we've been taught about, I think even mm. Jesus has been, especially Jesus, um, has been built upon a white supremacist model. I mean, the fact that we yep. made Jesus white is also, <laughs> that's all tied. Not. So part of what we're doing, 
No, and so like even for us, part of what we're doing at Every Table too is actually looking at history. So looking and seeing what happened in 325 at the Council of Nicaea mm. and this point, this language, right? So we're actually, I mean, for me, that's also part of the work is just as, a, as I think about healing. Mm. Um, and so for me, when I think about what does that look like, I think it has to be willing to look at the ways in which we have been told um, a false narrative about who Jesus was, um, what he did, um, certainly about the, the, the way that his death, you know, played, played a role, which was unjust, mm. unnecessary. I think he was murdered as a, as a, a point of state violence, state sanctioned violence. Um, but, and then the resurrection was, was the mm. transcendent point was this the refusal to say, I'm, I'm not going to allow fear of death to keep me from living into the way I'm supposed mm. to live. And the way I'm going supposed to live will also then show that death does not end that. So for us, I think we're trusting that, that there is a level of vulnerability, which is holy, which is sacred. When you allow yourself to sit down and to be present with one another in breaking bread and sharing meals, but also in saying we want to heal um, and we want to live in relationship in a way that enables us to do that, to really be neighbors. With yeah. One and another. I think what I hear you saying is really, I love the word disruption, kind of disrupting what the status quo is and has been right in different institutions in the church um both in a big eye institution is the the i guess the the universal church of oh, how it's manifested mm -hmm. across the world but in the body that you all are creating so let's get into our central question which is what now what next i think you know three years ago what i saw was kind of this racial um it's not really a, a reckoning, a, a, a heightened awareness around race and racism in our country. And so that brought the conversation that had been taboo um, in some sectors and, and some, to some folks to the forefront where it's not uncommon to hear white supremacy, which probably four years ago, people would be like, wait a minute, what, right? And so we were having a different level of awareness and conversation, but it's three years after that, three years after the pandemic, where we really saw the racial disparities in care and outcomes. It's three years after the murder of uh, George Floyd and the ensuing protest and the monuments are down. So would love for y'all to comment on, particularly from a, a spirituality faith perspective, what is the work that we need to be doing now, right? I mean, what's your reflection on what's happening now? And then from your perspective, what's next? As a black organizer who was involved in 2020, I personally feel like we don't told y'all, we don't told white people what they need to do already. We need to rest. <laughs> like, we need to sit down, we need to move to breathe. We don't like, we don't put out books, we don't put out podcasts, and we got like educational material that's online. Like, black and brown, like, organizers need to rest because we need to like recharge for the work that needs to continue to be done. But, especially, like, yeah, we need to like remember to take moments of rest. Like, I'm not saying like don't do work that we're doing. I'm saying remember to take attentional rest. Because a lot of times we work, work, work. We're like, we're doing the thing, we're doing the thing, we're doing the thing, we're pushing it, we're pushing it, we're pushing it. And then we get to this point where like, we don't have anything else to give because we didn't give it all. We need to figure out a way to prioritize our rest. 
and still be able to like survive, live life, have a a life, be able to afford things. So I think I mean I, I'll say for I mean for me I'm thinking about white folks like we need to we need to talk about healing what that looks like engaging white supremacy from a place of healing which includes active conversations about reparations and our relationship with money capitalism functions by keeping us numb um particularly white people um because if you want to and that's that's what we do that's what we've done for centuries um is white people stay numb so that you can actually live um in uh in a world that is um that you are actively destroying, that you are help like in order to uphold these systems, um, we stay numb these different ways. And I think until white folks can start to have a conversation, and so with that, right, we are then kept numb and kept blind by contributing to buy into the system, continuing to buy into the system. The system wants to target me, it wants to keep me as numb as it can, because then I don't actually want to sit down, I don't have to sit down and actually think about the impact that my um, my lifestyle is having on Charles you know, is having on, 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 and not, I mean, this is my very direct neighbor, not to mention all of these things, not to mention the harm that it's doing on my own soul. So for me, when I start thinking about it, I want to start thinking about what is it that I am so afraid of when I think about living in right relationship with Charles, right? And so this is, hyper, right, if I'm thinking about it, and it's like all of those things, it's like, I have to be willing to say that my relationship with money is the thing that's keeping me very sick. So for me, when I start giving money away, when I think about that, that because it's, it's all tied into money, right? I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough. It's this scarcity mindset. Capitalism functions on a scarcity mindset. There's never enough. There's never enough. There's never enough. So that I start counting all of these things and I start seeing this money as my value or the things that I can buy with it because I can't actually go into my soul or my spirit because that's all already been vacated by centuries of like, right? Capital, capital, like capitals. So I've been handed this trauma. So as I start thinking about how to heal, a big part of that has to be thinking about how do I think about money? And can I actually think about money as something that when I start giving money away, then I can see what happens with the money. I can see how much more is done with that money, but I can also see that that money doesn't own me. And that those status things don't own me, own me. And so for me, when I think that that it's essential to even just think about how to clear energy, how to actually like treat who we are so that I, we can sleep right at night so that we can actually sit and we can navigate through this world in a way with integrity so that we don't lose our shit when somebody said, pardon me, so that we don't flip off the handle when you somebody says something, you know, in a way. Oh, that's great. Cause I do a lot. Um, but, but I think, <laughs> But, but I think for me, when I, th I mean, so I think part of that is also letting other people take the lead. I think particularly when you think about it, let black, brown, other indigenous folks take the lead, particularly women, particularly femmes. Um, and I say that even just from a practical perspective, right? I mean, this is, yes, it's a racially just thing. But even when you think about a practical perspective, we are living in a system that was created on the imaginations of white mm. men straight white men, right? And so anytime you have a system, the, somebody who has been marginalized, who has an identity that has been marginalized by that system is going to understand that system better than those who have not. I understand gender, and I say this from my own experience of like being trans, I understand gender in ways that cisgender right. people don't because I have a lived experience of it that has enabled me an opportunity to experience a wide breadth of it. So when you think about that, when we have this system, which is 
so is built upon racism and misogyny. If you're going to talk about people who understand system white supremacy and misogyny, talk about people who understand that system the most, they're people who have been most marginalized by it. There's just an imagination that is possible. It's like having a, a, a perspective that is not already saturated in the in the poison of white mm. supremacy. Um, and so I think and so I think with that, it's like, you know, when you think about how do we make decisions, you know, and it's like, well, there's a it's called consensus. There's a thing you can do, you know, and that's, but I learned that from spending time in womanist mm. spaces, right? Or, Come on, know, womanist. These, like, but like, right. I, yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I, yes. Thank you, womanist. Thank so you. For, yes. for folks who don't know what a womanist is, could you define that for us, Jess? Oh, yeah. Sure. So the way that I would say is uh, womanism um, was a, a, a thought. So originally Alice Walker was the coining the phrase womanist, but came from a womanish, um, but but sort of coining, but looking at um, particularly the black woman's, I would say, expansion of a conversation that white women were having that was not ex inclusive of their lived experience. So it's talking about a black woman's understanding um, that is deeply connected to uh, intersectionality as well. When you talk about um, Kimberly Crenshaw and how Kimberly Crenshaw and how you know, we talk about intersectionality, sort of understanding that the nuanced experiences of one's um, or the nuanced identities of one's lived experience will define how they experience the world. But womanism is, is black women's, um, I would say, description of, of the ways in which the fullness of their identity needs to be seen and often comes with that a critique of the ways in which society does not make room for um, voices, I would say, beyond white voices. Because I think womanism also is grounded in understanding of automatically an expansiveness mm. there within yeah. where I think white feminism um, is, like, is explicitly yeah. restricted. It's like so the, I'm, I'm reticent um, around talking about but but it's yeah, a black it's woman. It's like black feminism foundation. but it's definitely it's definitely black feminism because black That's feminism how I would describe it. is like more of a more inclusive like feminism. Like it's actually I got this whole theory on like beef with white feminism, y'all, that I'm not gonna get into right now. <laughs> Let's hold I'm that for episode two. That's real, though. But it is real. Right. It's real. So, yeah. so I was yeah, like, we're getting into the transformative yeah. conversation, which which is what's next. So, so we have rest for for uh, black and brown folks and the interrogation of capitalism. I think by all, but specifically by white folks, because that's been a tool and a vehicle um, for white supremacy. And so I would love for y'all to talk about like what how, what is that like like Charles? How are you inviting or engaging black folks in rest? Jess, how are you um, or hope to even if you're not doing it yes engage white folks or folks that are involved in y'all's church in the conversation around money and what we do with it and how to be. What's a good word? I don't want to be, I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm anti-capitalist, but really disrupting and, and have people think critically about it as opposed to just accepting it. So I'd just love to hear what y'all doing, what y'all want to do, what's creative or dynamic, or what are the conversations you want to invite so, people, or practices you want to invite people so, into? So like I said, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm actually right now in school to be a yoga therapist. Um, I, I just said, that's what I do. I help people rest. Like, it's my total, like, it's literally, like, as a yoga teacher, it's literally, like, part of my job to, like, help people rest. But also my, like, attention and my focus when I teach is um to find a place of abolition. And a lot of times, the place of abolition for, like, 
us is rest. It's um, spending that time to rest because we're always we we built the country, but what's the stereotype for us? We lazy. We don't work. We don't like. We don't provide. Blah blah blah. And that's not true. There's two things can't be true. Like slavery, this country was built on slavery. This country was built on the backs of brown and black people. This country was built on the backs of like my ancestors. They worked. All my ancestors worked hard. <laughs> very, very hard. And then it's just like, because like we all have these like family stories of like that uncle that had 12 jobs or like that like person who like, we have these stories and not only that, like they did it in a like time of necessity cause that like, they needed to do it. But also like they did it like, like off the like few years off of like just having to work for free. And now, like, mm-hmm. yeah. So now you work. And then they had to work free. for nearly free. And we still right? in a situation where like we work for right. these big corporations right. for like barely nothing, and like we don't have time to actually rest. We don't have time to actually like turn and like turn inwards. We don't have time to like seek spirituality. We don't have time to like meditate. We don't take time to like do those things because like we're always in this state of grind. So I just continue like to make spaces um, for rest, like through my yoga classes. Um, I have some online things coming up that I'm putting together. It's very interesting through the work that I do with the Well Collective, through the work that I do with Bear Soul, um, even down to being in like the Sankofa Mathematics Room down at MLK. Um, just teaching kids like it's okay to rest, like. It's okay to take time to breathe. It's okay to like take time to turn inwards instead of like always feeling like I have to accomplish something or I have to be doing something. Absolutely. And in the and to I think it to be a black person in America or probably in the Americas, that, that's revolutionary, right? Because we were brought here to work in our lives, even um post-emancipation until now continue to be struggle right so if even if we're trying to like oh we're trying to not to be the stereotype so we're overcompensating and work too hard but how can we move into a space of thriving a space of i am moving from not i'm trying to you know fight these stereotypes or um get whatever i'm supposed to be getting but but the american dream and losing my soul but I can really say I took a sabbatical the end of last year and I worked for myself and people were like, how, are you, how did you do that? And I was like, I decided to do it. Um, I decided that taking a step back and not being not working, not being productive was the best thing that I could do, not only for my life and my purpose, but for for the larger work in which I was going to do. And I've come back kind of refreshed. Um, and renewed because of that. So I so I love that and want to invite other folks to be thinking about that. I'm currently reading uh, Rest as Resistance, which is about a, a woman who um, engages in the nap ministry. I took a nap yesterday, <laughs> which is not my normal, Naps which is not my normal thing. So love that. So Jess, how are you inviting uh, yeah. folks to, to interrogate yeah. capitalism 
Yeah, I talk about it a lot. I talk about it a lot. Um, I talk about it when I, so I, I, I'm also serving as the interim pastor at, um, an, at a Presbyterian congregation in Richmond, uh, Westminster Presbyterian. And, um, and I talk a lot there about how do we heal from society? So I talk about even trying to lift, and it's different in different mm. conversations with folks. How do we look at the ways in which we are upholding these systems, but also the ways in which these systems are killing mm. us? Um, I talk about it with pastors, um, other pastors in the presbytery who I meet with regularly and talk about our relationship with money. Um, how do we actually talk to our congregations about our relationship with money and white supremacy? Um, I talk about it um, really any chance I can get. Um, um, I'm on, there's a group of white folks who are um, part of the Presbyterian church as a denominate, like denominationally who connect. Um, and it's a group that's been convened by the folks who are in the, um, Office of Racial and Gender Equity. Mm. Um, so we're talking there about how do we how do we sort of move and mobilize um, denominationally? Mm. Like, what are things that we can do in terms of like, can we bring an overture around reparations to the denomination? Like, what does that look like? Um, and so, how can we show up? Um, also, um, showing up in places. So there's a march that's happening on June 5th in okay. Denver, um, and that is um, a march for our kids. I mean, is that for our, here for our kids, pardon me, here for our kids. But it's a march that's being led by um, a handful of folks, one of whom is a woman named Syra Rao, who lives here in Richmond, just wrote a book called yep. White Women. And there's a, a film called Deconstructing Karen that's part of that. So they're um, hosting a big, um, a big march in Denver on June 5th to, to try to get the, the governor to sign an executive order to ban guns and mm. buy them back. So um, just showing up there to um spaces and then trying to show up when folks <laughs> say they need me to go places like so there are other times too or other conversations where sometimes it's like um it, with white folks i need to talk to white folks about things i don't know if that makes sense but i have a lot of conversations i think just trying to show up when it's um invitational but also being willing to step into the space and talk a lot about money um i you know talk a lot about how do we talk about money in the church um and how do we talk about um, making repair and with that as part of like, how do we talk about reparations? That's something that I think we're still, I'm still in terms of specifics with reparations because I'm wait, like, like they're like par Charles and Casey, Casey Overton, who's another partner of ours on every table, who's been actively helping to lead um, another space called the vibe that, that is convening. Um, have been working on a package, like what does it look like around specifics for, and so, but it's, it's, that's a big part of the conversation around how do we actually look at a redistribution of, of this wealth, which was not justly brought and which is, is, I mean, yeah, like how do we have this conversation? I love that. Y'all so. doing so much interesting stuff. So I have one more question for the both of y'all before we get to our kind of outro uh, question. So I want to, so Charles, you're talking about rest spaces for black folks. Um, and Jess, you're talking about what are the conversations that um, you're engaging church folks and white folks around. I'm interested in how y'all bring different races together. What what are those conversations look like? Um, does that happen in every table or just by nature of your different identities? Or what is the work around that? Um, it's good. It happens. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like, I actually don't feel like, I don't run into a lot of black people who are like, oh, I want a 
diverse space right now. I've run into more black people who are like, I want a black space right now. Like, um, when I'm like in spaces mm -hmm. and like, this is one of the reasons why I love Richmond and I probably like will never leave as long as it stays black. Um, it's still like spaces I can go and like, I can look at around the room and like, it's all black people. And I kind of like that feeling. Like as a person who like, has like lived in Richmond, left and has been in spaces where like, oh wait, I'm like where reality has set in that like, it's not like, not every place is like a black metropolis. Oh <laughs> yeah, I like that feeling. So I don't necessarily feel like spaces need to be like, You know what I'm saying? I'm not I have saying. a thought, but I want to hear what Jess, I have a personal thought, but I want to hear what Jess saying. No, no, I think that as a person so, who, who interacts in all black spaces and then in more integrated spaces throughout, particularly, I think my faith journey, I think that there needs to be both, right? So from a, of a black person, I moved here from Charlottesville because I wanted to be around more black people specifically. I looked at Charlottesville, which is about 70% white and I'm, I'm from New York and went to school in DC. So I'm like, this can't be where I kind of put down my roots because I want to be around a group of diverse folks. I also am one of a few black people that I know that actively has like solid relationships with white people and are okay with that. I think that most <laughs> most black folks, and you're probably there, because I think I met you at East End, right? Which is a, which is whatever. I think that that's that. Girl, but, 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 that's, <laughs> a whole, that's a whole other podcast. But, but I think that there, there, there aren't a, black folks that either want to do that or are comfortable with doing that. That just has to be, happen to be my right. ministry and, and my journey. So I totally get, I think that there needs to be space for both. I think we live in this country together. So we need to understand how to engage because we have laws, we have governments to run, we have tables to build. And I think that's important for, for a black person, I think. It's both. I love walking in a room full of black people and being black and being as black as I want to be without having to explain. But I think integrated spaces, I love the conversations I have with my white folks that are working on their privilege and thinking about being allies and justice. I think that those, both of those things are important. But Jess, you wanted to jump in and say something. Well, I think I think one thing that one of the I feel like the greatest gifts of, of doing this with Charles is that Charles is going to be Charles. Charles is also not going to deal with any shenanigans in a way in that, like, there is this point of and maybe but like, but Charles is going to show up as, as authentic and, and in those conversations. And so, you know, I've said, you know, a lot of times that, you know, it's, it's become real clear that if if we want this to be a space that is safe for that is safer, right? If there is such a thing, I mean, it's safer um, for everybody, but I think particularly a space that is safe for, for black folks, then there need to be fewer white people there. I mean, just in terms the of reality. like realistically. And so as we're at a place now where we're still young, where we're still building, that's where it's like, um, that I feel like is, is, is certainly where I think that we will build more. And so it doesn't, it feels like it's because like, I think that that's where it's like, as we build up, it's like, I think just being intentional about how we communicate with folks about what we're doing and where we do. And like, cause I know there are a whole lot of, um, yeah, it just, it just feels, it feels important that, 
there, yeah, there are fewer white folks. Um, but I think also part of that is I'm just laughing, thinking about we. Um, so, so, so there's that evening. Sorry, there's the evening gathering, and then there's also the vibe, oh, yeah, which is the group that I just mentioned. But I'm also I'm trying to figure out if I should talk about the podcast we were talking. Sure. About. Also, my, we were talking about having a podcast called "My Only White Friend," <laughs> where, um, you, but it's sort of an examination of mm. whiteness. But I, I was talking about like, and then so it's just all having a conversation, but then also inviting people on with their only white friend, and like, what do you talk about with your only? But also, so it's a way to just kind of turn that lens around. Um, I love but that. It's it's unpacking that very thing because, like, yeah. Well, we have a um, podcast. I'm yeah. actually at the Common House, so if if y'all need a place to to record. But as we close, I got three questions for y'all, and I want <laughs> I want y'all. You got one minute to do one, 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 right? Or one minute-ish. This has been dynamic conversation. I'm so glad to to reconnect with you, Charles, and absolutely to meet you, Jess. So one minute. So one minute. Give me one book or resource um, that has helped you evolve to kind of the next level of your journey and work. So that's one resource, one liberatory practice. As I think about my work in, you know, I would describe it as racial equity before, but I want to move towards liberation, right? I, I always tell my friends, I want to be like Harriet Tubman, who physically liberated people, but to liberate myself and then go back and liberate other people from the systems of capitalism, white supremacy, and patriarchy, right? And so I want to be liberated. So one resource that's helpful to your, has been helpful to your transformation, one liberatory practice um, that you engage in to help to move you towards liberation. And then one thing you want people to leave with. So one, one, one resource practice. What do you want to leave people with? I have personally been doing, um, just like a lot of like ancestral work, like even down to like ancestor, like generation, especially like being like black and growing up in the church and how like we tend to like do these things without like knowing that like these are things that like, our ancestors like put into the church so that we could continue to Part use. So just like actually like acknowledging that as a thing, like actually acknowledging like like when I'm doing work, acknowledging like, oh, this is the work that my ancestors couldn't like actually freely talk about them doing. Um, so we're saying that that comes a whole mm. that comes with like a whole lot of like research a whole lot of like understanding talking to like ancestors i had a group under this dad and i needed to know a whole bunch of information and i'm kind of like still going through some things about that but yeah and my liberatory so resources is, liberatory practice um, or i get on my i'm a yoga teacher so my yoga especially as somebody who like Growing up has been described as like a hard working black man. I don't want, I don't seek to be a hard working black man anymore. I don't want to work hard. <laughs> I don't know what that to be the, the the label that like when people think of me, I don't want people to think like, and that's the thing. A lot of people think of me, still think of me as like that, like that hard working barista that was always running, making 25 drinks at one time, making food and doing all I don't ever want to be a hard You did your person. thing. I enjoyed like, you, Charles. I don't want that like label to be attached to me because I don't feel like it's not, it hasn't served us in a way. Of, like, we don't like mm. black men have this thing about being like hard workers. We have this such obsessive thing about being hard workers, and it hasn't served us in any like. So, what's your practice? Just releasing that or rest? Knowing, feeling what I want, 
like doing the things that I want to do. So I intentionally mm. release hard work and I intentionally invite him to things that I yeah, want to I do. That. Even down to like with like working, like my job, like yoga is my job because that's I what that. I want to do. It's not so it doesn't feel like work. Um, talking, mm. helping people liberate their bodies through movement. Doesn't feel it's like my a job. It's like it's it's what I do. So it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. And what was the last one? I want to leave people with. Um, what do you want to leave people with? Take time to breathe. Remember to breathe. Um, once you learn how to breathe, you learn how to control your emotions. And once you learn how to control your emotions, you control your reality around you. Um, yeah. Breathe. I love that. Jess? So uh, a resource I feel like I actually would, I want to just kind of plug right now is is White Women, is the book, White Women by Syra Rao um, and Regina Jackson. Uh, and and just, um, do you got, you have one hand? It's it, I handy. got one too, it's on um, my coffee table. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just, and, and I, I could name a whole lot, but that's one I really feel like I want to right now just lift up just in terms of where we are. And just particularly around looking into the March on June, and yeah um yes yes uh liberatory practice uh for me uh i honestly yoga body work getting into my doing meditation uh you know like getting into uh like learning that i can sit with discomfort and sit with those things that are moving through and that i can be present with what is has been one of the most liberating things in my life um you know just just like it's yeah, I think especially being socialized mm. not to. Like everything, like no discomfort, just whatever. It's like, nope, just being able to sit with what is and to move through that is really empowering, liberating, mm. actually. Um, and I would say, actually, it's funny that you say that because the thing I would want to leave people with is the same thing. Like cultivate a practice around breath work. Um, learning how to understand and be with your breath as a way of pausing. Um, I think especially just giving yourself that time to just center and to find just that spark within you, um, I think is one of the, one of the things. So I love that Charles said that too, cause it's like, yep. Like sometimes like slow down and look at yes. nature, like be present, but find I love your breath. That. Don't forget to breathe. Right. And, yeah. and that brings you back to yourself. Yeah. It seems simple, but it's so profound. Yep. Um, so I would yeah. love to just thank you all for both coming on today. This has been a fruitful and dynamic conversation. We could have had three or four different offshoots of this conversations, but I, but, but this conversation, but I think it's been really fruitful. Tell people how to find y'all, y'all handles, your websites, yeah. um, before we yep. uh, say goodbye. So you can go to, oh, you want, oh, I'm ducking in. Sorry, I hopped in. I interrupted. Sorry, Charles. Um, everytable804.org is our website um, on Instagram is everytable804. Uh, and that's the only place we are right now so far. Um, and then um, I'm Rev Jess Cook, R-E-V-J-E-S-S-C-O-K -E -E at, on, uh, on both Instagram Wonderful. and TikTok. And also, I want to All right, plug, wonderful. Check these guys out. Oh, go, plug, you got another um, one, sorry. Not the bag, I wanted to plug the um, March. I can't find the page for the March. Here for our kids, oh. action. Go follow Here for Our Kids Action on Instagram. That's the mark that's going to happen in Denver. Um, yeah, go follow the Instagram. 
And, oh yes, um, I'm also at Charles, the Charles, you're you're at the Wealth Collective too. So if our, our the Wealth Collective and Bear Soul and all the work I'm doing in the city of Richmond with helping like black people be well. I have classes on Thursdays, every Thursday. I have classes on every other Saturday. I also I'm about to start um uh I guess beginners like course that's gonna be called the beginning, but it's notes because we're always like in yoga you're always every time you go on the mat, you're a beginner. Oh but beginners. Yeah, so it's gonna be based on like that practice and yeah. I got some interesting things coming up. So follow me, follow the Well Collective. Um and follow like all the work that's being yeah. done. Especially in RPS with Sankofa Mindfulness Rooms and like bring mindfulness to like our kids, bring mindfulness to youth. Well, wonderful. Thank you for all the work that you all have done, will do, and continue to do. Thank you for coming to our podcast today. And uh, listeners, check them out. They'll be doing some wonderful things, it sounds like. Or you can hop in at uh, every table you guys yeah. meet on Sundays. At we might not be meeting that much longer. Five o'clock? Hopefully. Five if things go. Yeah, in the chat. go. Yeah. Check the website. <laughs> not negative. We're looking right, for new so space. Yeah. Maybe we some know, of our yeah. listeners. <clears throat> not negative there. That's no. not, that doesn't look like a church. All yeah. right. So yeah, anybody has a space. Well, well let's Great. call it a wrap. Thank y'all listeners uh, for joining us again at the intersection, which is season two of the Richmond Racial Equity Essays podcast. I'm your host, Ebony Walden. We have been chatting today with Charles Bolin and Jess Cook from Every Table. Check them out. Come back for episode two of our podcast. Thank y'all for listening.